with us today. Do you grab a microphone on the end there too? Uh, thank you for praying for us. We had such a great trip. Uh, the video is just a microcosm of what we experienced uh, in Guatemala together. A lot of, lot of, there's a lot of sub stories that happen throughout the week. Uh, you know, when you put a bunch of people in one house living together that aren't used to living together for that period of time, uh, a lot of neat things uh, happen. But we had such a good time. We're going to have some of our folks come up and share uh, just a brief testimony of what took place in their heart this week. So I'm going to ask Amber Lease to come on up. And share on behalf of her and Matt, right? Yes. <laughs> Hold the mic close. Okay. Took some notes because I knew they were going to show a video, and I knew it was going to make me start wanting to cry. Um, first, I would like to say what an honor it was to work and be a part of this group. Um, there were such great people. We all got to know each other a little bit more, a little bit better. So um, I'm going to give you a little background. For the past three years since I've been coming to Marianne's um, ladies ministry. I've been praying for God to show me my story so that I could give it to other people so that I could make um, it obvious to them that salvation is the way to live your life. Um, so that was my prayer for many years. And during those same three years, she's been asking me to go on this trip to Guatemala. And I've been saying, no, no, I'm not going to go. It's just not the right time. So finally, I said yes and began to pray again what I'm going to be able to say and do to bring people to salvation um, while I'm on this trip. God, please give me the strength, the um, spirit, the heart, all the things that I need to take and go and do that on this trip. And on the first day, I went to work on the house, and there was Martina, and uh, there was this language barrier. I don't know very much Spanish. And... I'm working all day, and I see Carlos set up his tripod and start to interview her. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just watching, doing my thing. And I see her start to just sob. And she was just standing on this concrete slab by herself, and she starts crying. And he takes off the other direction. And I'm like, where is he going? You know, she's just standing there alone. So I went and I threw my arms around her, and I had no idea. I didn't even know her name at that point. And it was that awkward hug with some stranger. And then I felt her cry a little more, and I just hugged her as hard as I could. And she let into me. Um, and here came Carlos. He was going to get her a tissue. And so I thought um, he, she dried her eyes. He said something to her that made her smile. And on I went back to work. I thought, okay, that was awkward. <laughs> but, but I felt her love in that moment. So... Um, later the next uh, day, we were doing a devotional. I wish I would have a tissue myself. Where's Carlos? That's okay. Uh, so later, we do devotionals every evening after um, we've been out. And Carlos was telling us about the interview with Martina. And that what she was saying was something to the effect of, he asked her, and, and I'm just, this is my translation from hearing Carlos, so several people down, that he had asked her what she thought about us being there, that Warehouse Church being there, building her this home. And her response was, you know, you're not just a group of gringos from Texas coming to build me a house. This is God's miracle. And in that moment, when he said that, it just really took, the wind out of me because I realized that um, I wasn't there to go and bring her to salvation or anyone else, that God was showing me just to get out of the way, um, that I didn't need anything else but just to say yes and let him do the work, that I was just this piece of his miracle. Um, yeah, thank you. Define my place. So this, this trip taught me a lot about uh, my own prayers um, and about just serving. Just sometimes I can ask for things and uh, I just need to listen, just need to say yes. So it took me three years, but I'm so glad I said yes. And I hope for everyone in this room that you'll find something today and tomorrow and every day to say yes to because you just don't have all the answers. They're all his. Good job. Awesome.
morning, everyone. Um, so I have never been on a mission trip ever. This is the first time in my, all my years. We have never. We have never ever, either one of us. But um, I've, I've heard hundreds of testimonies of people who've been there, but nothing that you hear prepares you for what you see and what you experience once you get there. Um, it was just incredible from beginning to the end. Um, you know, we, of course, they built the house. I didn't do much on that part, but um, <laughs> we, we worked with the kids in the orphanage. We loved on them and played with them. We went to the feeding centers. We spent a day with um, kids washing their stinky little feet and um, washing their hair and, you know, making them feel special. Uh, but one thing I wanted to just, that really touched my heart was uh, we went to a coffee farm, and it's my understanding that we had a big part in that coffee yes, farm, correct? Um, so, and it was beautiful, we did a tour, but as the kids age out of that orphanage that's associated with manna, um, this coffee farm is gonna be a place for them to go to, to learn trades, to learn how to grow coffee, to learn how to pour coffee and interact with the public and to give tours and learn trades like carpentry or, or whatever, I don't know. But I just have a brand new respect and admiration for what manna is all about because they're not just feeding this, these kids in the moment, but they're really giving them a hope. They're really giving them a future and independence. And um, I just thought that was fantastic. There's so much more we could talk about like all afternoon or into the night probably, but um, I just wanted to mention that. Amen, that's good. Jeff? Was, was that enough? I don't have to say anything, Gail. <laughs> Gail said it all. So when they asked me to, would I stand up, I'm not as good at this, so. But then I finally think it's her fault I'm up here. Um, but I love it, I love the people, um, and I love this trip. I was totally blown away. Like I said, Gail and I had never done anything like this. So when you think about a mission trip, I don't know really what crosses my mind. I know they're helping people. They're doing this. Sometimes you wonder if they just want to go see another country. It's not that at all. I mean, manna, this group is serious about what they do. In fact, they wear you out. <laughs> um, I think in the evening time, every, every evening we'd have a devotional or something, which is great. But I'm going, can I go to bed? And they're going, no, no, no. But I think, I think Ed wanted me to talk a little bit about the house building. Um, and it was very interesting. Um, when we first showed up, and I can't speak for the rest of the people. I can only speak for myself. When we first showed up, um, I thought, can we do this? You know, here we show up on a Tuesday, and we're seeing a slab. We're climbing down this hill. I'm an old man. Uh, can we really do this in three or four days? The group was amazing. Yeah. The, 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 the people were amazing. The first day, I still had doubts. I really did because it's not like building here where you go to Home Depot, you buy lumber, it's all the same size. And I think everybody would say the same thing, that that's what we struggled with because all of us do a little bit of that. We want things to be perfect and cut perfect. This lumber is cut up right there. The logs are cut at the lumber yard as you order them. So you get them, and some of them might be two inches, some of them might be two and a quarter. They're all different lengths. And the first day we're going, oh my, how are we gonna make everything fit? You know, and how are we gonna, they just do things down. We were really worried about the first day, and I think all of us were a little particular. And we were at the end. We wanted her to have something fantastic. But I think the first day struggled, and then the second day we loosened up a little bit and said, hey, this is what it is. And the guys did an awesome job putting that house together. Um, we did have tools. It uh, wasn't all hand tools and things like that. So we did have some, some tools. Not the tools that I'm used to um, and not the lumber that I'm used to. But it was amazing. And you saw the lady on there. She, it just made the whole thing. Every time that it was hot, believe me, it was hot. We were... And, then, and we'd be sweating and we'd be looking and there she'd be just smiling with her two kids and just happy. And that just kept you going and kept you going and kept you going. It was so, so worth it. Um, and I, I don't know what to say about the house. I, you saw some of the houses that people live in there. I feel ours turned out 
so much nicer. She, she was just beyond excited. Um, besides the trip going there, and I worked mostly on the house. I did a little bit of serving. I'm getting on to Carlos, too. I don't want to forget. I don't think he's here. but he Right needs behind you. Oh. oh, there he is. Sorry. He needs to learn to edit a little bit. Okay, so <laughs> next time you do that, learn to edit some more. Um, <laughs> but it, it was so exciting seeing her, the people, and how excited she was. But really, the difference a part of this trip made, it's not about us. When you go on a mission trip, it's not about us. But it was kind of about the church. It was about us a little bit because I learned to love some people. Um, the people that I went with. You just get a different relationship when you do this with people, when you're helping others. The relationship that we had was just, I thought, amazing. Uh, I really do. I loved each and every one that went. Um, I, the building was not super easy to do, but it was absolutely worth every minute we spent on it. That's good. Good job. Nothing like speak for the first time in front of the church in broken English and you're zippered down. <laughs> Just found out like a second ago. <laughs> That's me. Where's my wife? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> this trip was fantastic. I want first and foremost to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For allowing me to be there. I never planned this. I never saw it coming. And suddenly I was in that plane right there. Um, I was born in a third world country. But I've been living in the U.S. for the last 19 years straight. It was my first time going back to Latin America after 19 years. And it was, it was a shock. It was a shock. I need to say thank you to Pastor Trinkle. I need to say thank you to Marianne. Both of you guys were awesome, you know, logistics and everything. I want to give special thanks to, first, you guys. Because because... You guys put some of your effort, whether in money, in prayer, in whatever. Now, a whole family is sleeping under their own roof, under generations to come. Um, I want to thank Jeff. Without his guidance, we would not be able <laughs> to build that house. Um, the, the, the endurance and... Uh, and the leadership that he showed, it was, it was absolutely an inspiration. When I was like feeling tired, like I need to go for some water. This guy was up there on a roof, uh, hurting, just putting all that roof and whatever together. So I was like, I cannot, I can't, I have to keep going. So I want to say you're an inspiration, through yeah. inspiration of true Christianity and for future trips. Last thing I want to say is we were placed there by God so that family could have a house. But she was placed there for us to see her reactions every day so we could grasp the, the impact that we were making in that woman, nothing like seeing that woman there, just staring at us. And once in a while, I felt proud to speak Spanish because I could ask her, Martina, how is going? She was, my house is so beautiful. My house is so beautiful. And that was over and over. She was just there. And whatever she could help, grabbing a, a broom, you know, and doing whatever she was just there so I took one week just one week of my life how many weeks I have wasted throughout my life just one week a whole family has a house and generations to come just a little effort it, it has a great impact on me and I'm so grateful for being able to be there thank you that's good Carlos
Well, good morning, everybody. Um, unlike Carlos, I did check my zipper before I got up here, so we're good on that end. But as some of you guys know, we actually work with Mana Worldwide, and I had to. But, you know, this is probably one of my favorite parts, being able to hear the testimonies and everyone, you know, that got to come. And this was honestly, we, we get to do a lot of these trips, which is just such a blessing, but this was by far one of the best trips, if not just the best trip we've ever been on, just because of all the stuff we got to do and building the house. But I want you guys to know that that wasn't, we didn't just build a house, we all built that house. Yeah. You guys were all a part of that. Sure. We all, as a church, did that. And it's so cool to just see that happen in three to four days. But other things that happened, you know, one of my favorite parts about the trip is that we get to do home visits, which is where you get to bring baskets and necessities and food and supplies and stuff to families in need that are at the church or in the community. And, you know, Marina got to share the gospel with, I don't know, four to five ladies and families, and they all accepted Jesus Christ as their savior. You know, it's awesome that that happened on that trip. And that's one of my favorite parts. But I want to encourage you guys really quick, just you know, if you guys are thinking, man, man, I missed this last trip, but it looks awesome, we want to do another trip. We want to build another house because there are many families there in that church in San Lucas that need a house, that need a home, and we want to keep doing this. We want to keep blessing these families. So I want to encourage you, if you guys weren't able to come on this trip, just say yes and just come on this trip because it is awesome. It's going to just ask anybody that was on this trip. It just it changes your life, and just, just in that short time, in those, you know, five to six, seven days, just say yes and just come on the trip. It's just it's awesome. Good. And I was just going to say, it's not even just about the house. Like that's, we got to build a house for people. And we got to, a lot of the ladies got to go and serve and the families in the church. But um, it's not even just about the house. It's about, we got to go be a part of what God is doing. And he wants that from all of you. I mean, people in this room might not have any construction skills. I don't. <laughs> but we got to be a part of what God is doing. And he has something in your heart that he wants to use here in this church and in Plano in this area, but also all over the world. So please come with us. We hope that this stirs something in your heart because God has something for you. So come with us. That's good. Quick, um, we do have the dates for our next trip, and it's going to be November. 2nd to November 9th. So if you want to go, come see me. Just say yes. You will not be sorry. And if you see anybody with these shirts on, these are our missions trip shirts. We don't sell them for anything else. They're our missions trip shirts. So t everybody has a story that went on that trip. Talk to them. They're excited. They want to talk about the trip. Just, just go up to them and start talking about it. And thank you so much for giving all that you did for this because it was an awesome trip because of you guys. You yeah. gave so much for That's it. Right. That's right. Awesome. Good job. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Awesome, awesome. I want you to look in your Bible with me to, uh, uh, into the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter number 10. Uh, thank you for everybody that prayed, that gave, that participated, that encouraged, and uh, we hope that, uh, that you'll consider going with us in November. Uh, Kim uh, talked a little bit during the welcome time about we're actually doing two trips uh, in the fall season, one's going to be kind of touching winter a little bit. Uh, we're going to back to Guatemala uh, to build another house and to do some more ministry there with our missionaries, uh, with Nick and Katie who work with MANA Worldwide, and we're really blessed to be able to do that. And then MANA is also sponsoring or, or hosting our trip to the Holy Land in December that Kim and I are going to be a part of, and we're going to help host that. And if you are interested in that, we'll have some information uh, for you, um, it's the first week of December, short, short. You probably can't do both trips, uh, but um, uh, we would certainly like to invite you to one or the other, and uh, we really need impactful time, and we're just looking forward to it. Lots of great stuff happening at Warehouse Church. Uh, before we pray, everybody check your zippers for Carlos's sake, and now we can begin. Look with me in Luke uh, chapter 10. Uh, I want to talk to you about... Um, th th this is kind of the last week that we're doing the series called Just Jesus. We've gone through miracles, we've gone through his birth, we're going through the Holy Week uh, things this week. I want to invite you uh, to be back here if you're able to on Wednesday night. Kind of kicks off our Easter uh, specifically by uh, we're going to have a prayer walk and some prayer time for our Easter services here on Wednesday night. All of our TVs out in the lobby will have different prayer requests. We're going to have like a little walk set up. Our Bible studies will still be the same, our life groups. But if you want to come be a part of that time of prayer, we would invite you. And then we're asking the church, uh, if you're physically able to do this, on Thursday from 6 o'clock till Friday 6 o'clock, we're going to do a 24-hour fast praying for Easter services that weekend. 
uh, asking the Lord to bring us a lot of people, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, use all of you to pass out your invites this week, and we're just going to pray that God does something really special in this room, in his church next week. And then, of course, Easter, Easter Sunday uh, will, uh, I'm sorry, on Good Friday at uh, 6 o'clock to conclude our fast, uh, we're going to have a Good Friday service on Friday evening, and we're going to be sharing communion. I'm actually finishing my Just Jesus series, but it'll be a little bit different uh, type of a service in worship with communion. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, next Sunday, invite, 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 invite. We have cards out in the lobby. We have little things you can stand on and take a picture of your beautiful feet and uh, put it on Facebook this week. We want to help you get the word out. Put it on your social media. Do whatever you can to get that last person to come to Easter service next week. It's going to be a great week, and we're going to uh, celebrate that together. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, I want to read for you verses uh, 25 uh, down through 37. If I talk like an auctioneer today, i got to finish on time today. Uh, because our Spanish service is going to be meeting in here at 11.30, and we still have to baptize before that. So buckle up your seatbelts. We're going to zip through this today. But I don't want to miss the significance of the reading of the Word of God. So let me read for you Luke chapter 10, verse 25, uh, down through verse number 37. God's Word says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus' reply was, what is written in the law? Have you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, again asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, uh, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out one, uh, two denarii, or some money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? Well, the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, and simply Jesus replied this, you go and do likewise. So there's different people mentioned in this story, and I want to give you a little bit of kind of historical, just for uh, an understanding of the culture of the time. You have the expert in the law who, was, who asked Jesus two pretty significant questions. He asked him, asked him about eternal life, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And then he also asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then you have the story that Jesus gave. He mentions uh, five different people or groups of people. First of all, he talks about a Jewish businessman. He's a traveler of a person going from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road from Jerusalem <clears throat> to Jericho was a trade route. Uh, they would go and they were going to do business. It was kind of like if you were to get, you know, go to downtown Dallas from here, you'd get on uh, George Bush, and then you'd get on 75 South. You'd pray for mercy. You'd pray for no traffic. Uh, you'd pray no road closures, no cops, no accidents, and it would take you right to Dallas. That would be the route that you would take to get there to, from here. And that's what this route was. It was a route that was used from city to city for trade and for traveling. Then there were some robbers. Uh, these robbers that were mentioned that uh, on the trade route that was there, it was very normal for people that were uh, slaves who were either escaped slaves or slaves that were set free to kind of wait and lurk for these business people to travel so they could rob them. And, you know, we could talk about that. These folks trying to steal something that didn't belong to them for their own good. You kind of get a little bit of that Robin Hood feeling, oh, you know, steal from the rich, give to the poor, and maybe you can have mercy on it that way. But these guys were doing bad things, hurting people. They left this guy for dead. They beat him up really bad, and they took all that he had. Well, then there was the priest that was mentioned. The priest who was going to perform religious acts, 
He was from Jerusalem, from the center of the religious hub of the Jewish faith, going down to Jericho, probably to perform some kind of ritual service or some kind of Sabbath service for them. So he was going on his way to do some kind of thing that was involved with being a priest, some kind of religious act. And then you see the Levites, who were also experts of the law, like this lawyer who was asking this question, was probably a Levite. And they were experts of the law. They were very familiar with the Word of God. They were very familiar with priestly uh, duties because they helped the priests, but they were lay people. And uh, they, they, knew what their, uh, they knew what was expected of them as kind of religious people. And then you have the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, it's interesting that Jesus used a Samaritan as the person that would perform good works because a Samaritan were the absolute mortal enemies of the Jews. The Jews and the people from Samaria hated each other. It's really not that different today. When you hear Jews and Samaritans, you say, okay, where, where's Samaria? You know, you're talking about like Iran, Iraq area to the comparison to Israel today. That conflict didn't start in our lifetime. It didn't start in 1946 when Jewish nation of Israel became its own country again. This started all the way back even far as Abraham having a son that he shouldn't have had and Ishmael and his other son Isaac. I mean, this conflict goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. So for Jesus to use this as an example to a Levite, he tells this story about a guy who was walking down the road. He gets robbed, and a priest sees him lying by the roadside, practically dead. And this religious guy, right, a religious guy who is who kind of makes his living doing good works, right? Who kind of makes his living caring for people at some kind of level. Sees him from afar and doesn't stop. And that seems really cold and there's some reason for that. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. Then the Levite does the same thing. And Jesus, in his story, and it doesn't say if it's a parable, so it could have been a true story. But again, he's using this, this, this kind of example because Jesus uses culture, shock value, and Jewish tradition to get to the heart of this lawyer. And Jesus actually even speaks his language a little bit. When the lawyer asks his question, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? You know what Jesus does? Some of the, something that we probably can't stand in conversation. My mom used to say this to me all the time. Don't answer my question with a question. I asked you for an answer. Well, Jesus answered this guy who was a professional uh, debater uh, and he, and he answers his question with a question. What do I got to do with eternal life? He was looking for an answer. And Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? You know, you're a Levite. You know what the word of God says. And then Jesus said, how do you read it? And he was asking him, how do you interpret it? Because that's what they did. They interpreted and they spoke to the law. So the Bible tells this story. Jesus shares how this guy was walking down the road. He gets beat up. The priest walks. It kind of sounds like the beginning of a bad bar joke, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Priest walks into a bar, a Catholic priest, a Jewish guy, and this guy walk into a bar, and kind of sounds like a weird joke that's about to happen. But this man was left for dead. The, the priest walks by. The Levite, a religious guy, walks by. And then the mortal enemies of the Jews is the only guy that stopped by to do what? To care. And then Jesus asks this question after he tells the story, whether it was a parable or not. He says to this lawyer, he says, so who is the neighbor? And you know, it's interesting when you read that because when the lawyer responded to that, he didn't say the Samaritan. He said the person that showed mercy on him. So he couldn't even speak the words out of his mouth that this guy was a Samaritan, that this guy was his enemy. He said, you know, the guy that, that helped him out, he's a good neighbor. And then Jesus' response to him was, well, then you go and do likewise. So I want to ask you this question this morning. How can we be good neighbors? We heard seven or eight testimonies of some people that went on a missions trip last week. And you know what we were? We were good neighbors. There's some good churches in Guatemala that we're connected to. We, we have helped build a church, that, uh, three or four churches down there. We support an orphanage. We support feeding centers. We support work that's already happening. It's a third world country. But we believe that God has told our church to take the gospel and care about people in Jerusalem, which is Plano, Texas, Judea, which is the state of Texas, Samaria, which is people we don't like, and into the othermost parts of the world, people we should like. You know, that's what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, that, that, that we are all responsible to get the gospel everywhere as far as we can, no matter what it takes. And these folks made sacrifices, they were kind, they gave, uh, they sacrificed vacation time and family time to pour into this family. You know what they were? They were good neighbors. 
and they brought a lot of attention. You know, it's funny, when you're in the middle of a Mayan village, we weren't downtown Guatemala where there's, where there's a little bit of culture happening from different countries in Guatemala City or Antigua where a lot of uh, tourism takes place. We're in the middle of this Mayan village, and I said in the video, when all these gringos are kind of hanging around each other, it garners the attention of the entire community. And they, this community watched our folks build this house. And when we were asked, and when Pastor PJ, who pastors the church that we support down there, was asked, he told them, they're doing this so that you'll come to church and hear about Jesus Christ. That we were being good neighbors. And, and I want to give you some, some principles of how to be a good neighbor uh, as Jesus speaks about in this story. The first principle of this, if you're going to be a good neighbor, we have to learn to show mercy to others. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said this in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We've got to show mercy. This guy demonstrated care. Uh, he, he cared about this guy that was left for dead. He cared that he was all alone, that stripped down practically naked, bleeding to death. And he probably saw, because it was a trade route, it wasn't like in the middle of this dark night, it doesn't say the man that nobody saw him because other people walked by and said no. And I wonder if the Samaritan actually saw the priest and the Levite walk by before he stopped. But you know what he did? He stopped. And in order for us to, to demonstrate to other people that we're good neighbors, we have to show mercy. The second thing is this. We must slow down and see the need. We must slow down and see the need. Uh, when my father taught me to drive, he taught me this term called road awareness. And I didn't understand this at first. But parents like to do this thing where they talk to you about the car before you actually get on the road. When you're 15 or 16 years old and you, and you learn to drive, the only thing you can think of is turning it on, revving up the engine, put it in park and going, right? But there's a lot of things you need to learn about driving before. And as a 15 or 16-year-old, you hate that part, you know? You have to get in the car and put your seat, well, that's today. We didn't have to put our seatbelts on when I learned how to drive. Miss those days. But we wear our seatbelts now, right? So you put your seatbelt on. Then you look where? You look in your rearview mirrors to see what's going on. Then you got to see what's around you. Look around your car. And then even before you get in the car, you make sure all your tires have air in it. And, and all these different things that you do to have road awareness. And my dad would say, now listen, when you're driving, you got to constantly check your mirror. I said, Dad, how can I see what's in front of me if I'm looking behind me all the time? And if I'm looking behind, he says, because you know, car people do crazy things, Ed. You might be the best driver in the world and you could have a terrible accident because somebody is driving stupid. Not that that ever happens in Dallas, Texas. We understand that. But road awareness, you have to know what's going on around you all the time. I tell my daughters this, uh, all the time when they go into foreign places, uh, places where they travel, or when they even go to an airport to go home or go anywhere, I say, always know who's around you. If somebody's making you feel suspicious, trust your instincts. I told our girls on this trip, don't go to the bathroom alone. And the one girl said to me, we never go to the bathroom alone, which is a great thing, right? But be aware of everybody around you. Who's, you you kind of have to know what's going on all around you all the time to be safe. But sometimes in our lives... We have tunnel vision of all the immediate emergency things that we're doing every day. Oh, I got to get to work. I'm running five minutes late. Oh, I got to get here. I got this appointment. Oh, I've got to do this. And there's times this happens to all of us. We'll see somebody on the side of the road that needs their tire changed, or, 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 or we'll, we'll just zip by and won't even give two thoughts to it because we're not aware of what's going on in people's lives. Because here's what happens to every person starting right here we're very consumed with ourselves. We're worried about what we have to do. And the things that you have to do are important. It is important to get your kids to school on time. It is important to get to work on time. It is important to make appointments. It is important to do the things that you're supposed to do. But we get so consumed with what we do, we get too busy to see the need that other people have in their lives. And Jesus, the Word of God says this in 1 John three seventeen: If anybody has material possessions... Does it say if you're rich? You know, we would like to see rich people do more, right? If the rich people take care of it, then the middle class don't have to do uh, what, what's expected of them. But it's interesting, the highest percentage of giving in most churches isn't from the quote-unquote rich people by number. It's by people that don't have and have just a little bit, and they, learn, they, they know how to give. And it's interesting to me how we don't see, the, and, and, and we, we want to put that on other people. Well, I can't really do that. You hear... 
you hear us talk about we want to thank you for giving, thank you for giving, thank you for being a part uh, of the trip last week, as everybody said. And, and I want to tell you something. Nobody walked up to us and handed us $10,000 and said, go get it. That came in $5, $10, $15, dollars $20, $25 at a time uh, through a challenge that we had in the $10 challenge. But the Bible says this about, about having anything. If you have material possessions and you see your brother or sister in need and, sh and you show no pity of them, John says this, how can the love of God be in that person? If you only care about you and don't care about others, and listen, I, I want you to, I, I, I understand, you know, uh, the implications of having a family and raising a family and paying a mortgage and paying for your cars and paying for the stuff that we all have every day, but you know, all the stuff that we have and that we live for is 100% choice. It's a choice. We choose the house that we buy. Somebody didn't come up to you and put shackles on you and say, you have to buy this house and have this much of a mortgage and have this much of a car and have this kind of a lifestyle because you live in this area. You have to be like everybody else. You know, it's very humbling about this house. You know, we say the house that we built for this lady, the house that we built for this lady. I want to tell you something. It's a house that nobody in this room lives in. When that house was done, I don't know. Jeff, are you still here? How many square footage do you think that house was? 600 square feet, maybe? It was tiny. It was so tiny. And you had to go out on the porch to go into the bathroom. And you had to go out of the house to go into the bed. They weren't connected like our houses would be flowing with the big room and the, you know, uh, the, 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 the kids' bedrooms on one side of the house and the parent bedroom on the other side of the house and the living area with the kitchen and this, this, and this. You were turning like this, this. We couldn't put four of us in a room at the same time at this house that we call a house that, frankly, for this lady, the reaction that she had to the house that our folks built was the same as you would see on one of those makeover shows. <gasps> I have a floor. She was out there, and they were talking about her working every day. This lady, my gosh, uh, Martina, she was out every, smiling from ear to ear, tears in her eyes every day, and she felt so humbled by everything that was happening. She just picked up tools and would start working. She, she was out one day, and she tilled all of the ground by hand with this, with this garden tool and was just, just straightening the ground up every single day while she had a baby wrapped around her, either in the front or in the back. And then, you know, we would be tired, and we'd have to go get a sandwich or go get some water. And we'd turn and see Martine, and we're like, oh, we can't stop working. She's killing us, right? It was humbling. It was really humbling to see that. But we don't really see ourselves as people that live in excess. And listen, if God's blessed you, he didn't bless you so that you'd feel guilty. He blessed you so that you would be a blessing to others. He wants us to care about people. To whom much is given, much is required. If you live in the United States of America, you are amongst the richest 5% of people in the world. You know that the United States of America only has 5% of the world's population, but doesn't it seem like everything's about the USA? And we love that. God bless America. I love being American. Carlos was in my office this morning. I said, don't forget, we got to have you give a testimony. He said, Pastor, I'm so glad to be home the United States of America is the greatest country in the world, and I'm proud to be almost an American. He was saying all this stuff about, about, his, about the pride that he has and the gratefulness he has of being an American and how he was reminded of that when he went back to the country that's very similar to where he grew up. we got to slow down. Slow down. The Bible says that about our relationship with God in Psalm 4610. You know, God says, be still. Relax. Be reminded that I am God. Look up unto the stars. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament displays his handiwork. You look at a, we don't want, we want to cut that stuff down. Look at a flower, look at the grass, look at the trees. Watch that crazy rain yesterday and you'll understand there is something much greater than me in this universe and that's the creator of all that is and that's God Almighty and he wants you to have a relationship with him. But we get consumed and busy and busy and busy. And we've got to slow down and see the need. Here's the other thing about being a good neighbor. Listen, being a good neighbor means you're going to be somewhat inconvenienced. You know, we, we hear that story and we're like, man, why didn't that priest stop and help him? Why didn't that Levite help him? If you understood what would have happened in that priest's life, you kind of go, wow, I kind of get that. The priest thought that man was dead. If that man was dead, the priest would have to go back and perform this ritualistic cleansing of himself that would take 
Not a hot, listen, there was nothing greater on this trip. We had okay food, we had great fellowship with one another, but you know what the greatest part of the trip for all of us was? Hot showers. Somebody give me an amen on hot water. You work hard like that and you're filthy and dirty and stinky and slimy and you're, when you're feeding kids and brushing the maggots out of their hair and feeding their dirty, stinky, rotten feet and you just, you, you kind of walk away going, I am a gross, smelly foot right now. I smell like everything I touch today. The only thing you could think of the whole ride home is, dear sweet Jesus, please let there be hot water today, right? And we got back and we took that hot shower. It was one, this priest, if he would have touched the body of a dead person, would have to do a cleansing ritual that lasted seven days long, where multiple times during the day he would have to be dipped in water and taken out of water and dipped in water and take because he touched a dead body, he would have to take a seven-day bath. Now, for some of you, you'd say, a seven-day bath, that sounds like heaven. Seven-day bath, right? That would have cost him seven days of his life. And he may have been thinking like we do. But I've got to get to that church down there who's expecting me to do this thing. I've got to get to Jericho because I have people waiting. I have 200 people waiting on me. This dude's already dead. There's not much I can do for him. And what did he do? He walked by. And the religious guy did the same thing. He walked by. Listen, if you're going to be a good neighbor to somebody, you're going to be somewhat inconvenienced. It's going to cost you some of your time. It's going to cost you maybe even some resources. I encourage people, when you invite your friends to church, invite them to have lunch with you afterwards. Oh, wait a minute. That means my bill at the restaurant is going to be about 30% more than it usually is. Yeah, it's going to cost you something to show somebody you care about them. It cost our people last week $1,400 to take this trip. It cost them about a week of their vacation. It cost some moms time being away from their kids. Uh, some, it cost... It probably cost Liz more than it cost Carlos because Carlos got to be in a foreign country and Liz, our worship pastor, had to take care of her two babies all week without her husband. And when he got off that plane, she ran to him, no, I don't want you to ever leave me again. So maybe she paid the higher price for the missions trip. But if you're going to be a neighbor to somebody, don't expect that it's not going to cost you anything. And listen, I'm not talking about you giving money to church. If this is your church, you already know you have a responsibility to take care of the needs of this church. Members of Warehouse Church, what do you say to that? Amen. Amen. That's, our, that's what we got to do. It's what our gig is, right? But it's going to cost you your personal resources and your time and some of your family time and some of that protected space that you have if you're going to be a good neighbor. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. And I want you to read this verse with me. Mark 8. 30, do you guys have it back there, Mark 8, 34 through 36? Jesus says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, ready, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their own life must lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel's sake, will save it. Okay, that's what we'll do. We'll just do that. I thought it was going to be 36. So we have to be willing to spend ourselves in order to give to others. Here's, here's number four. In order to do that, we've got to get close to people. We've got to get close to people. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say that you have personal space issues? Raise your hand with me. Right? I have personal space issues. When I'm on a plane, I kind of do this a little. I told, some, I told our church, our group that was with us. I've had the weirdest thing happen to me flying at different times. I'm going to tell you, you have to go on a trip to hear the grossest ones. They're really, really good. But I, when people come up the aisle towards me, I'm either going, no, 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 no. You know, I, I get really, I mean, I get really uh, agita in my spirit with that because I used to be that person. I, I remember walking up the aisle and I remember this lady going, are you sitting next to me? Like with, with fear of God in her heart that this gigantor man that needed a seatbelt extension was going to be sitting next to her. And I said, yes, ma'am, but I'll do the best that I can to keep my whole body in my seat. And then she said this to me, this is going to be the longest flight ever. And I said, I have mints. I mean, I didn't know what to say to her, you know. I didn't know what to say to her. But you got to get close to people. You know what? You know, you know, I can tell you some things about people. People stink. People have bad breath. You know what cracks me up when you're watching TV movies? 
when people, you know, you'll have this love scene, and they'll go to bed, and blah, 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 then they'll wake up the next day out of slumber, and they'll turn and look at each other. They don't show that they went to the bathroom three or four times at night, or the reality. They turn to each other at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning when they wake up, and they start making out without brushing their teeth first. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's not real life. Life is dirty, it's ugly, it's kind of stinky sometimes, right? And it's difficult sometimes. And you know what? When you get close to people, guess what you get close to? The same kind of mess that you have in your life. When we have people over our house, you know what we do? We have this big fire drill. You know what the fire drill is? We got to clean everything so everybody thinks that our house is perfect and clean all the time. We got to get this up, get the dirty, we got to do that. Because you know what? Life is real. It's really, really, really real. And it's hard to get close to people. Because you know what happens when you get close to people? They're not only revealing themselves to you. Guess what? You are revealing yourself to them. They see who you are. They know what kind of deodorant you wear, if at all, right? When you're riding in a van all week, a crazy van that's jostling back and forth, and it's like a four-wheel drive sometimes, and you're bumping people in the van going, what am I doing on this trip? He's driving like a maniac. You're getting close to people all week. And listen, if you're going to make a difference in people's lives, John, 5, uh, John 15, 12, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Listen, God demonstrated his love for us even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. He knew the hot, stinky mess we were before he even gave us a chance to be saved. We need to get close to people. Number, this is the last one this morning. We've got to love God if we're going to be a good neighbor. The, the religious or the uh, lawyer said this in Luke 10, 27. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And here's the truth about loving God. When you love God, you love the things that he loves too. You love the things that he loves too. So let me ask you a question. Are you a good neighbor? Do, when you go into a room, are people glad you're there? When your neighbors see you, do you get a hey? Or do you get a, uh, right? Do people you work with glad you share a workspace together? I mean, do, do, do they, I, I don't need everybody to like me. No, but you know what? God needs people to like you if you're going to invite them to church. W would you go to church with somebody on Easter Sunday that, that, that cussed like a sailor in front of you every week and was just mean? Would you go to church with somebody that cuts you off to get that parking spot? Not that that happened to me this week and I'm bitter at all. Would you do that? What, what would you go to church with somebody next week that said, Hey, bud, I'm glad to see you today. Hey, my family's doing this thing. Easter Sunday, everybody goes to church on Easter Sunday. Why don't you come with us? We're doing the Easter egg hunt thing with the kids. It's controlled may uh, mayhem. And then afterwards, why don't you come to my house for Easter Sunday? How would they receive that? Yeah, I'll do that with you. I like being with you. Or they would say, oh, who are you? I've never heard kindness demonstrated from you at all like that. Are you a good neighbor? I'm proud to say that I spent the week in Guatemala last week with people that were great neighbors. And they did a great job. I want to tell you a story. And then we're going to pray. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had a lady come to our church named Sierra. And she was an African-American lady. Uh, if, if you saw her, you saw that, that she had oxygen uh, going into her nose. It's very, very sickly. I met her about uh, two months ago. My son-in-law, Nick, came home from the barber, and his haircut was awesome. I said, Nick, that's the best. I said, Nick, look at me. That's the best haircut you've ever had since I've known you. You look marvelous. I mean, he looked great. He was a little uncomfortable. He said, I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this conversation. I said, Nick, where did you get your haircut? I'm going to that barber. He said, this lady named Sierra, she gave me this haircut. I said, I'm going to get my haircut by Sierra. So I went to the barber. Sierra cut my hair. Now, Nick was going to Sierra because Mike, his buddy, who has just accepted Christ in our church a few months ago and about a week afterwards had a heart attack and was very, very sick, and our church prayed for him had to go to Sierra because Mike was sick. So we went and he went to Sierra, told me about, so Sierra cut my, my hair four or five times. And, you know, we just, and then Nick was in there one time, prayed with her, invited her to come to church. She came to church when Kim and I were away one weekend and Nick spoke. Nick got a picture of her. Sierra's a little different than we are. Something happened in Sierra's life. And I'm not saying this is a judgmental 
thing, but Sierra grew up as a boy and wanted to become a guy. And you can say what you want to about that. I don't really care because I'm not going to share you my opinion on that. But I knew God put that person in Nick's life, and Nick demonstrated care and was a good neighbor to her. Last week on Thursday, I got an email from a barber shop that she works at called Lombardo's just up here in Richardson, and Sierra passed away. Some of you that met her hugged on her and were kind to her. And I wonder how you are as a neighbor with people like the Good Samaritan was. You ready? That are different. That are different. Because we're not all meant to be the exact same carbon copy of one another. I'm kind of glad there's not two of me in the world. I'm kind of a lot. And Kim goes, amen, preach it, brother, you know. But that person needed Jesus. Whether you agree or disagree with the politics, whether you agree or disagree with, with that whole, the transgender, it, the, the, we get caught up in issues that have very little consequence in eternity when God's told us to love one another and care for people. We want to fix people before we tell them about Jesus. We're not God's Holy Spirit. It's not my job to make somebody good before they come to church. You don't take a clean car to the car wash. You make your car nice and dirty. And then what do you do? You take it to the car wash because it needs to be clean. You know what I need every Sunday? I need to go to the Christian car wash at the church because I need what we talk about. I don't need to look at people and say, oh, you're really living this horrible life, or I disagree with this, or I disagree with that. Too many times Christians aren't known by what they're against instead of who they're for. We've got to be more like the Good Samaritan. Red or yellow, black and white, this, whatever, just stop all that stuff and start caring for people and let God do what he's supposed to do. He changes people. It's not my job to change anybody. My job is to love people. My job is to care for people. My job is to be authentic. My job is to go and do likewise. Be a good neighbor to somebody this week. Invite them to church. Tell them we have a new chair for them. We've got a whole room full of new chairs. We have to put another bunch of chairs in here because this room's going to be filled up. Help us fill these seats and be a good neighbor to somebody this week. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this great story.